and welcome to Should I Get Bangs. I am your host, Julia Rossi, and today's guest is a fantastic comedian, writer. She's been on corporate. She's been on Lights Out with David Spade. She's also just a very, very good friend that I've known for, God, eight, 17, maybe years. It's Lizzie Cooperman. Julia, I was like, am I allowed to say? Is she waiting for me to say? And also (laughs) could not hold back on the years because it has been since I think I met you in 2004 or five. Yeah. So that I guess you're right. 16, 16 years. That was quick math on your part. I mean, that would have taken me like fingers to the temples. Come on. (laughs) I secretly love. I secretly love math and it's so sad because in high school I got terrible grades in math because I don't like math like I don't like math when someone else makes me do it but I love like figuring out the tip and like percentage off at sales really yeah I like get like really excited like I'll be like don't tell me don't tell me like everyone will start to figure out the tip I'm like wait I got it in my head I don't know that's, That's just a fun amazing fact. I never do that with sales I'm just like we'll see when we get to the register Oh, you don't do the percent off if it's like a 40% off sale? No, I just think this this sounds like a good thing. This feels like a healthy percentage <laughs> knocked off the top. Have yeah. you? I, I also totally. failed math, by the way. I was in, uh, it was parabolas and ellipses. Do you remember those two? No, I have no abstract clue. Abstract shapes. One looks like a ski slope. The other one looks like an egg. Oh, yes. Or maybe not an egg, just like an an oval, more like a baguette perhaps. But (laughs) we had like outcome-based education and they said, if you get a C or lower on any test, you have to keep taking the test over and over. And my, I, I kept taking the test over and over, and then my teacher retired, and they said, you can't take the test anymore, so we have to give you an, an F. And I went to summer <gasps> school and everything. Wait, outcome-based education? I've never yeah. heard of that. Yeah, it's like you are either going to get an A, a B, or fail. And so you work to get an A or a B as long as you can until you master these ideas. But then because my teacher retired, there was no way I could... I took the test on parabolas and ellipses five or six times. I got In tutors. Yes. Wow. But overall, how did that... I've never heard of it. Was that system helpful? They were testing it out in my school and it failed me. <laughs> it yeah. failed me. And then I had to explain like to colleges and stuff. Ah, uh, overall, yeah. you did like overall, were you a, a good student? I was until um, ninth grade. I had problems at home and my grades fell to like C's and D's. I went from A's and B's to C's and D's. There was a meeting. And they made me go into something called uh, a class called note taking and study skills, where (laughs) it was for people like, you know, I don't want to say delinquents. They were all lovely people. We were Mm -hmm. all struggling with problems, probably outside of school. So they gave us this new organizational system where we had a three ring binder with loose leaf pages in it. And the woman's name was Mrs. It started with a K and it was a name that sounded very like perfunctory. And 
she taught us this new system of organizing along with shorthand as though we were secretaries in the 1950s. Oh, God. To learn a new type of handwriting that she probably was just like, here's one of my special skills in the high school. <laughs> Principal probably said, use it, Mrs. K, use it. So I, but then she actually helped me. She did help me because I was kind of excited because I was such a messy kid. I never had my permission slip signed. The class was always waiting for me at the door while I dug through, rifled through my messy desk. So this was kind of a new way of life for me that I found picking and study skills, but it it didn't last long. But I was president of all these activities and stuff. I just never uh, got my grades together until, Yeah. yeah. I did a lot of activities for the sole purpose. Well, no, I was also interested in them, but it was partially also a mad dash to get into college. Mm. Cause I was Wait, like, I a- wasn't the president of, I don't want to say, and I was the president of everything. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't want to offend anyone, any Armstrong Falcons out there, but I was involved. <laughs> was that your mascot? Yes. What was yours? Oh my God. Uh, the, the Belmont Marauders. What is that? A Marauder is like a pirate. Oh, right. I was like going through animals in my mind. Yeah, it's a pirate. Okay, Pirates right. are, are terrible people. <laughs> they rape and pillage. But oh they know God. how to play football. But they know how to play it. But they <laughs> work wonders on the field. I don't think I've ever asked you this, but what were you like in high school? So in high school, okay, in ninth grade... I was cheerleading captain. Really? I was captain of winter cheerleading. Then in the middle of, so we had to do basketball and wrestling. Here's a breakthrough for you. Should I get bangs? In <laughs> ninth grade, so we were, we, so I was I was the captain of cheerleading, but in my mind, I really wanted to audition for the one act play, which was really hard to get into. It was like a play that went to all these different competitions. And my sisters, I have three older sisters who were involved in various ways in the arts. And in my mind, I thought I really need to audition for that play. And I'd done theater in junior high and stuff like that. And I was trying to kind of figure out where I was where I would land. You know how you're just mm-hmm. trying to figure it out. So one day, my co-captain and I, we had a game coming up, a wrestling game that we were supposed to cheer for. And her idea, or I don't know if it was her idea, but it was some kind of tradition that what you would do before the wrestling game is you would get a bunch of diaper pins um, and paint them with using nail polish and toothpicks. And we were sitting in a circle painting these diaper pins with red, white, and blue, our school colors, trying to write Armstrong High School with a toothpick so that we could then, at the wrestling game, when a wrestler would pin another wrestler, we could go, yay, good job, Mark, do a jump and go up and present him with a diaper pin that we'd painted and pin it onto his jacket. You look so angry as you're telling this story. I was so, (laughs) it came over me like while we were sitting there, I said, why are we doing this? We are sitting (laughs) in a circle crafting for men? (laughs) Crafting for men. 
And and I ended up quitting. And my team and I was like in the middle of the season. Yes. I said, I'm sorry, I can't do this. I feel that it's degrading. Also, we had to wear our skirts to school. This is so badass, Lizzie. It really is. I really thought I was like, I'm doing theater. I'm not doing this. It, It wearing your cheerleading skirt to school was so humiliating. Those skirts are short. Yeah. And there's you're wearing them because there's a game that night and to remind people of the game. But I also was like struggled with my weight. I hated my legs. I I dreaded the days of the games. I think I would wear probably like a sweatshirt tied around my waist over the skirt oh, because so sad. I didn't want to have to show my body all day while I'm supposed while I'm also struggling with my grades. And it, it was just such a cluster of dysfunction. Um, so yeah, I quit the team and then I did, I was, yeah, I got into the one act play and I played this character named Marat in a play called Precious Damsels. And then did you start doing theater? Yeah. High school after that? Yes. That is so cool that you had that feminist realization in ninth grade. Also in that time because I often think about this currently how like the amount of access the youth has I mean the the amount of access we all have to information right now but like I considered myself I tried to be a little activist but my activism and education about it was very limited to you know I guess the one article in like YM magazine where they would take a break from telling you how to lose weight and be like, here's an article about changing the world, you know, and (laughs) that was like, you know, and whatever my sister could tell me that she learned in college, but like there was no Twitter to tell me what to care about. That's really interesting. Yeah. I remember caring about the earth suddenly. Yes. Well, that was like really in. I feel like that was all over television. And it was like, I don't know. Is that like when, I wonder if that's when Earth Day started. But that's when we all just thought caring what the Earth was like yes. picking up garbage at the beach. Right. That was it. It's so weird. So for your bat mitzvah, I had a bat mitzvah. And you had to choose what to give a speech on. And, you know, some people would say, on how I admire my mom or whatever. Uh-huh. Yeah. Much respect to those speeches and to Armstrong Falcons. <laughs> but the earth was so popular at the time. And I remember <laughs> the earth was so popular. That is such a great line. It's Starometer was on the rise. Yeah. And I remember reading about the three toed sloth. And I gave my bat mitzvah speech on saving the sloths. Oh, my God. Just specifically. And, and and then, of course, for gifts, people gave me subscriptions to Greenpeace magazine. I had, like, more than one <laughs> issue coming on a monthly basis. It's so funny because <laughs> your experience – so I – the word cheerleading is a bit of a, a trigger mm. for me um, because as a little – daughter of immigrants with a five o'clock shadow, I desperately 
wanted to be a cheerleader because I thought it would make me like all American. Like, you know, I'd see like Saved by the Bell and 90210. And it was always like the, the pretty right. blonde white girls with, who were cheerleaders and they had a football captain boyfriend. And like, I really wanted that all American life. And I tried out for cheerleading every year of high school. I never made it. Uh, I was so timid. It's so funny because now <laughs> all these years later, I think I could do it, but I was so timid, timid, and I wasn't coordinated and I couldn't jump high. No one wanted to be like, I think by the third time I auditioned, like nobody wanted to be my partner because you had to like partner up for the auditions. And so the cheer captain was like, I guess I have to be her partner. And it's like, she has nothing at stake. She's already the captain. And when I had to do the jump on her back, like I had to be like, you know, you would like put your hands on like the small of their back and lift your legs. She this came cra- bringing back so much. Yeah, she I went to go jump on her back and I I did it wrong. And she fell to the ground screaming, oh, God, oh, God, my back. And then everyone was mad at me because they're like, did you break the cheerleading captain's back? And I'm like, I'm sorry. I just I don't have a partner. Um, I didn't make it. The way they would revere the cheerleading captains too. Like, did you break Jessica's back? (laughs) You didn't. But it's also crazy to expect high school students to learn how to do these things. Like people would just cup their hands and you're supposed to step into their hands and have them throw you. Yeah. People you don't know very well. Right. Right. I ended up joining field hockey because I wanted to wear a skirt to school. I was like, maybe, (laughs) maybe somebody might be in the legs. legs. (laughs) That's very nice. But uh, that also did not get me a boyfriend. Um, I did give a hand job to a football player, but that was many years later. And he didn't really talk to me much (laughs) after. So dreams do come true in their own way. Uh (laughs) It's so funny that you say it's this all American because it is the kind of thing where it's like, how am I ever going to drink beer next to someone's truck if I'm not a cheerleader? Yeah. <laughs> how, how am I going to make that happen? I do think, I mean, I don't know if this is true for everyone, but I I can say with absolute certainty that the mentality that I had in high school, like the certain insecurities I had, they still linger. Like, even though I know better, I do think, and I don't know if this is true for everyone, but the things that like wanting to fit in, wanting to be included, like looking at people as like cool and uncool. And like those themes still pop in my head sometimes. Mm. Maybe it's, maybe it's a result of working in comedy, which feels very high school. Oh yeah. But like I, I would do anything to tell younger me, Cause like, I really wanted to do musical theater stuff, but I didn't have the confidence to sing. And so instead of trying or learning, I just was like, yeah, musical theater is lame. I want to be a cheerleader. But like, I think in my heart of hearts, I do wonder how my life would have unfolded if I just let myself be the like, right. Whatever I was in, what I really was, I guess. So what did you end up doing? I did a little bit of everything. I actually wrote, well, this is something I think we've bonded on. I, I wrote a lot of poems. Right. Um, I watched a lot of television. I ate a lot of food. I wrote a lot of poems. Um, I I guess I did like every, I tried like different sports every year, but that was never really my thing. But like writing, because I also like wrote for the paper. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote 
like oh, every field hockey. You said field hockey too. Yeah, I, but I never like really excelled at it. I didn't. I didn't care. I didn't really understand the concept of like trying. Like practice makes perfect. I sort of mm. was like, well, if I'm not good at it right away, I guess I suck. But and then I right. discovered like comedy my senior year. But like writing was my thing. And I got I was really shy about sharing it until junior year. I had like a poem published in the school literary magazine Zenith that like I always associated with like the goth kind of kids. Okay, that's something I actually wanted to flag for follow up, but continue. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then um, my first poem I had in there was all about self esteem and like thinking of yourself as beautiful. And it was really all these like cool girls came up to me in private and were like, I read your poem. It really affected me. Shh. And I was like, cool. Can I come drinking with you guys? And they were like gone by the time right. before they could answer the question. They're I could already write you a poem. at the bonfire. Yeah. I was like, I could write you a poem in the woods <laughs> at the roller dream keg stands. Come back. Julia, <laughs> the goth thing. So when I quit cheerleading, when I say I got into theater, it was a 180. I started wearing black A-line dresses. Love it. For a school presentation, I convinced my friend Rachel to both come in in these black dresses, turn off the lights, and shine flashlights in our faces. <laughs> and we did this crazy dark poem that was like blood dripping. For, like, I, I went, I, I, I really wanted to go into this like performance art direction. And I ended up performing. I wanted my major in college to be poetry and performance, but I started doing performance art like my junior and senior year where I would at, put, at school. Yeah. So like they would say, will you, I wrote poetry in school and I did it like competitively. We had some, like a competitive speech program. Um, so I started making these collages and I would do them as performances like, uh, standing on the chair, lying down under the chair. They asked me to do a poem at our school awards ceremony. And I had this poem called Purple Afterthought that I had written. They, they I went to univer university during high school for creative writing for a semester. And they said, will you come back and do one of your poems? Well, I did an abortion poem. It was like, she has 30 minutes to tell me about two abortions. You don't know the color purple like I do, she says, as her cranberry mittens turn us. They turn the wheel into the grocery store lot. Sometimes It was about her having dreams of this baby as a flame talking to her. And I'm doing this poem and I'm on the chair, under the chair. And I was like, and I dressed like an English teacher. <laughs> By this point, I had the same outfit as my English teacher, which was this cape with like gold swirls that I begged my mom to get me at Pier 1 Imports. It was from they, Pier 1? They used to have a clothing section. Did, uh, did you have an, was it based off of your own abortion? No, it was a friend. So it's like she had, she was telling me that she had an abortion. And then the end was like, tonight I will wash my mouth out with purple. I will never tell her. And it was a like, whole thing. And afterward, shocked, shocked. Applause? In my mind, yeah. I mean, people were like, I can't believe. I mean, the poem was, I, I'm going to say for high school level, it was a good poem. And mm -hmm. I, I wrote it, you know, in this like advanced course. And I was kind of getting my, you know, I was starting to understand 
how to get away from being like, your eyes are like the Cancun sunset or whatever I was writing in seventh grade. (laughs) I'm not, I'm I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I'm actually in a course right now that's ending on Tuesday that I'm obsessed with at this amazing place called Hugo house. If anyone's looking to take uh, creative writing classes, but, um, but I, I, I remember I didn't realize that it was going to be controversial in any mm. way. And I could sense after the performance that there was a divide. And, and that really stuck with me. And I think it made me want to explore that further. Um, because the poem wasn't, in my mind, political, but it was the experience of abortion from a high school perspective, which is kind of innately you know, it has social value. Yeah. You know, it. it's so interesting because, and I, I know we've talked about this a little bit off the podcast because I knew that you wrote poetry and still do, but like, it is interesting to, for me to like now, you know, for the most part, be a comedian <clears throat> and this, this poetry part of me, because I'll still like write, I mean, I've always journaled, I've always just, I don't even know if I would call them poems, but I just write whatever in notebooks. And it, it's interesting, you know, I've thought about like, do I want to share these things? Cause I'm, I'm still proud of those things, but I guess I've made the choice as an adult to keep them private because I feel like they don't mix with my comedy. Like, I don't know if I suddenly started like an online blog of my poem. Like it's it like now that there's any right. rules, right. I know there's no rules, but it is, I don't know. It was such a choice I made to go the direction of comedy and not that direction. Cause I guess I just can't take anything. I don't know. The thing with poetry is I never wanted to take myself too seriously. Well, I wrote this the other day in my morning pages. Comedy is not my prison. <laughs> Love. Love, love, love. I don't want to live in the prison of comedy. I don't want to be, you know, like, and I'm saying this for me. I'm not saying anyone else. No, like I, this, I think I agree with you hard. I just, I, I don't want to do it anymore. I not, I don't want to do comedy, but I don't want to think that my my value as a person or an artist is based all around like turning things on their head constantly. Yeah. Um. But I don't know. I mean, well, because I think with com- like a comedian, at least how I used to perceive it or how I was first introduced to it, a comedian would look at a poem and be like, fucking lame, you know, like that. Well, that's right. But I don't feel that way anymore. Like, it's like, that's insane. An artist is an artist. And sometimes it comes out one way and sometimes it comes out another way. And a lot of poetry is lame. Like a lot of like Instagram poetry is bad. And I don't even, I just mean, you know, when a joke is hacky or you go, I've heard that a million times before and you know, when there's no skill or you're not, you just know. Wait, talk to me about Instagram poetry. What do you, what do you, cause I feel like that is like many things, a thing that is being praised perhaps, uh, I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of people doing Instagram poetry. Okay. Well, I, I actually feel like <laughs> in a way it's kind of similar to comedy. Like it's fast food comedy. So 
or it's fast food poetry and most okay for example just some of the like you know there's no metaphor there's no simile there's no anaphora or repetition there's you know you're not going to probably see a pastoral poem or a like a i don't know you're just not going to see a persona poem you're not going to see any interesting lens dropped on a poem that someone posts on their Instagram. I sound so pretentious saying this, but it's like, it's going to be my heart melting in my hand, you <laughs> on the beach or whatever. And that's actually fine. And that yeah, there are beautiful short poems and I don't want to take away from that. And I'm not the ultimate judge, but there is a point where it's that over and over again, that there's like no texture to it. And there's nothing to read into. There's no subtext and there's no real, like nothing sticks with you. A lot of it just sounds like advice where it's like, be yourself. That is the key. Yeah. Okay. Well, anything that you can write on driftwood, (laughs) you know, and sell at world market or something probably isn't a great poem, but you can market it. And I think a lot of comedy is like that too. Where it's like, (laughs) it's like when you go into someone's house and again, no, no judgment. I'm, but like, you know, when you go into someone's house, it's one thing if they have one piece of driftwood that says like, bless this house or whatever. But when they have like 30, that's when I'm like, maybe family counseling. Right. (laughs) How many, how many pieces of art can you get at TJ right. Maxx before you admit that you guys need to have a conversation? Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, a lot of it is like sentimental kind of drivel, you know? Yeah. But, but and and it is for some people. That is what some people want. So I, I actually can't knock it entirely. Yeah. But then there's also comedy like that where it's like, you know, this person wouldn't be able to do stand up, but they make some video of them like running into a door by accident. And everyone's like, share this hilarious thing or whatever it is. Or Cut to me deleting in the court. No, I'm just kidding. Uh- <laughs> and then I get a, you know, but there is, deal. Yeah. There is like fast food comedy, which yes. is can go viral too, where, where it's like, I don't know. I mean, I guess. What I what I like is to read I like to read poetry that I will want to read maybe the poem more than once or Who are some of your favorite poets? Right now I love this poet uh named Dean Young. He has a great book called Bender that I'm really into. And also Diane Seuss has an amazing book, Still Life with the Peacock, I think it's called. It's on my shelf right behind me. Um, And then I just just studied with this guy at UCLA named Miguel Murphy, who I'm kind of obsessed with. Um, I love that. So those are some people to check out. Um, Did you find, you know, to go back to adolescence. So for me, um, writing specifically poetry uh, and journaling was absolutely therapy for me growing up. Um, I didn't 
the notion of going to a therapist was not something that people really suggested to me in the 90s. Mm. Uh, although, man, oh, man, do I wish I did. Uh, and I remember when I I had, you know, in college, I think it was sophomore year, I took this poetry class and I wrote a poem about violence in my household. And it was so interesting how uncomfortable half the class got. My teacher loved it. Like love, love, loved it. It made me, it was like the darkest and most genuine, I guess I'd ever gone. But I, I remember this one girl who I was like, you know, friendly with, who I would see drunk at bars. She was like, wow, Julia, that's like really serious. Like, I can't believe you shared like, and like, but not, I didn't feel like she was saying, like, I can't believe you shared that. I'm so impressed. It was more like, you should probably, like, go to a doctor. <laughs> like, it was so uncomfortable. And it's probably, like, one of the things I'm the most proud of. Like, that poem actually had me, led me to have, like, conversations with my parents. You know what? I think that's because a lot of good poetry is, like, it's telling a secret. Yeah. Like, here's Did you something. have that same experience? As what you're saying? Yeah. Yes. Yes, I did. Uh, in, a, in a different way that I am like, should I even talk about it <laughs> on here? But uh, yeah, I've, I've had some similar stuff where I've also realized, oh, my life is maybe a little bit different or this aspect of it might be unique to me in some way. That might not yeah. be great. <laughs> I feel bad for being like, there's no, per, that you'll never hear a persona poem on Instagram. Like, I don't even mean it pretension. Like, I, I just mean a lot of it is just quotes, advice. And you know what? I think it's good that people want to share their thoughts and spread things. I mean, look at, have you ever looked at Jim Carrey's Instagram? Oh, he does a lot of art and stuff, right? Well, no, his is just quotes like be yourself and stuff like that, you know, like, and that's what he wants to do, you know? I mean, it's the difference between watching, a, you know, if we're going to go to comedy, it's like the difference between watching like a really good comedy movie for two hours and looking at a meme. It's really, that's all you're, you know, that's all it is. I don't think you're saying anything pretentious. It's just, you know what I'm doing? I'm covering up real vitriol here by saying it's okay with me. Really? I actually don't like it. Yeah, it actually does. Bo- it, that stuff does bother me. No, talk about. I mean, if you want I to mean, talk about it, talk about yeah, it. You yeah. have a right to. Uh, I just feel like, um, you know what? I don't know if I've fully gathered my thoughts on it. I just don't. <laughs> I, I'm just not a fan of it, you know? And, and that is, uh, listen, I... I talk about I talk about the internet so much on the show. It should have just been called Julia should throw her phone in the ocean. Like that's that's really what the show it's not it's hardly mm-hmm. about bangs anymore. Um and it's funny because it's like, well, if I if I have such an issue with it, then get off. People were like, well, get off it. And I'm like, I'm really not on that much, but it's a necessary tool. It can be very helpful, it can be really wonderful sometimes, but I often feel very alone with my feelings about 
the fast foodness of it. Okay. You know what I think it is too? I think that I'm afraid that by saying I don't like it, I'm discouraging people from being creative, which is the opposite of what I want to do. Yeah, that's fair. I do the artist way. I encourage people to do the artist way, which is all about becoming unblocked. Actually, the artist way caused me to have a huge breakthrough in my life. I didn't even I, I didn't even realize how blocked I was until I did it. It's the reason I even started comedy. And do you want to so, share that? Sure. I mean, I was living in Minneapolis and oh God, I had done a, so after college, my dream was to go study in Paris at like whole international du théâtre Jacques Lecoq. It was a clowning mime school. Okay. And I was in a relationship at the time I applied and only five people in the U S got in and I got in. And so did my friend Jody. Wow. Was a very talented actress. So excited. Couldn't wait to go. It was $2,000. Now, at the time, I was working retail. Um, I told my parents about it. They rolled their eyes. It was like, you're not going to Paris. What are you talking about? My boyfriend at the time applied. He wasn't a chef. He applied to Le Cordon Bleu. So he could have a reason to be in Paris also, which was so sweet of him. And I could not scrape the money together by the time this amount of money was due. I And I didn't even understand credit cards. Like, I'm sure there were options. And I just did not see the options, which is kind of like, uh, I don't know if you've listened to Sam Harris's argument against free will. He says that we, we yeah. just oh. don't have in our minds. His, he says we don't really have free will because not all of the options come to mind for us. So it's like I, I thought I had a choice of whether or not to go, but did I really have a choice? Because mm. my mind just wasn't operating on a level where I was able to see the options or the reality. So I was really bummed that I didn't go to Paris and... I had health insurance at the time that covered a therapist. So I went and saw the therapist and he said, if you're not going to go to Paris, do something big here that will mean something to you. Mm, that's great advice. So I did a solo show that was performance art. It was crazy, Julia. <laughs> crazy. Did you do the abortion poem? What? Was the abortion no, poem part of no, it? No, no. And the entire thing, which in my mind, I, I don't know why I did this, was set to a metronome. It was a rhythmic movement piece, which included me chasing. It was, it included me chasing a glove that had a bee stuck to it with a fly swatter in a dream that occurred while I fell asleep in my graduation robe in a bathtub. It was about a maid who had narcolepsy and dreamt about going to Paris and studying mime. So there was a video element to my show. And I spent most of the time working on this video that was going to play in the background while I, in the front, did this movement piece that I had been choreographing. I rented a theater. I was ready to go. I do the play. And at the end, someone says, that was really interesting. Why in the background were you playing dirty dancing? I brought the wrong VHS tape. 
VHS. No. And I did an entire movement piece to Dirty Dancing. Wait. You to did- the movie Dirty Dancing on mute. I don't know if it was rewound <laughs> the wrong place or what the hell happened. Oh, my God. Lucy. But I knew when I came out to take my bow, something was wrong. I could feel that I was bombing the whole time. And I was like, this is, should be this genius thing that I made. I thought it was like kind of brilliant in my mind. It was just an, it wasn't even like, this is my one woman show. It was like an art piece. And it went, I, I could feel when it, I came out to bow that people had no clue what the hell was going on. And I, it left a wound in me that was so deep. I thought mm. I can't do anything. I, 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 even if I have an idea, I don't have what it takes to execute it. I don't have the, enough money to go to Paris. I don't have the skill to even do what I want to here. I felt like dead, you know, I felt like dying, actively dying. And, you know, I was working retail at the time and I auditioned for a production of Six Degrees of Separation. And I, I got the role of the, the, have you ever, are you familiar with Six Degrees of Separation? I'm not. Mm-mm. It is so good. And Will Smith is genius in it. It's Will Smith, Donald Sutherland and Stalker Channing. And it has more meaning than anything. I, like it, it's mind blowing. So I was in the stage production of that. And there was a woman um, who was in her 40s. I was in my 20s at the time. And she had this very bright blonde bob. And her name was Deborah. And she gave me a copy of The Artist's Way. And she said, I think you need this book. I found it at a garage sale this morning. And I thought of you immediately. She was the- in the show with you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she played the role of Kitty, the neighbor. who, Yeah, who gets completely blindsided. And she gave me the book. I, I did the book and it turned my entire life around from, I mean, it, it was like I had a full on reawakening. There was a moment where I was, mm-hmm. there's a part in the artist way we were supposed to go on a little vacation by yourself. And I just drove like an hour out of town to this city called Stillwater. I think it's an hour. I have no, I don't really remember, but it was like, the end of winter and I remember standing I remember my shoes at the very end of this like frozen lake and just seeing the ice kind of crack and it kind of thawing under my feet and just thinking I need to change my life and just like I know I have to keep going I have to faith I don't you know I'm not going to go work at Target corporations like everyone in Minnesota I have to stay on this creative path and just trust it you know and it was the, the, like for, I mean, I've done the artist, but I actually keep wanting to redo it. But for anyone who's listening, who hasn't done it, was there something specific in it? Or was just the whole course that kind of drew you to this conclusion? There's one week. So the artist way is a 12 week program for unblocking artists and you have to actually do it. You can't just read it. Cause a lot of people are like, yeah, yeah. I read a chapter. You do the morning pages every day and once a week you have to go on an artist date and then you do the exercises in the book. It will change you. Week five or something, it says, why? Weirdly, I actually wrote a poem kind of based on this in my class that I'm in right now, but it said, what what are your resentments toward God or higher power? What are you mad about? 
And I had so much stored in me. I just, at the time, I didn't even realize. I just had so many, you know, curveballs and personal U-turns. That's another part of the book where it says, take a U-turn you made in your life and straighten it out. And for me, that was when I was young, I played the drums and I, my drum was stolen from school and I didn't want to tell my parents. So I said, I was just keeping it there and just kind of let the drums fade away. So I ended up taking drumming again also Mm -hmm. while I was doing the artist way, which was incredible. I was in a, in a parade. I played it was like an Afro-Cuban and Caribbean drumming class. As an adult? Yeah. Yeah. I took oh. drumming in this basement with, where they had like red lights and incense and you would just drum and drum and drum and they would come around and just help you with the bead and stuff like that. It was incredible. Drumming is on my before I die to-do list because I quit every instrument when I was a kid because I would get frustrated. I'd be like, I'm not good at this. And I would like throw it away. Julia, I will totally take a drumming class with you. Okay, <laughs> let's do it. I just bought my daughter a set of drums because I'm forcing all of my unlived dreams on her. <laughs> no, it, drumming is so therapeutic. And I have yeah. to say, they're still from high school. I constantly play the William Tell Overture on tables with my hands. It like certain things stay with you. Well, you know, I think what is so relatable and because, and, you know, even though the artist's way, okay, here's the thing about art that I've always felt this very strongly. I think at times in my past, whenever I heard the word art or artist, I always sort of thought it was a little pretentious, right? And I kind of thought of art as like painting or I'm a master at literature. Like I just thought it was sort of, I don't know, museum worthy, right? And something that has struck me so hard as I've gotten older is like, how art is truly everywhere. Like I think about my parents, I feel like I've maybe said this on the podcast before, but like, you know, I remember being like, oh yeah, like I don't really come from a creative family. And then it's like, well, my dad's an electrician. And to me, there's an art to wiring a house, the way he like builds things. Like my mom, she's, you know, she was a stay-at-home mom, but she's like a phenomenal cook. She used to hand sew dresses. She, you know, doodles all over my birthday cards. Like, like art is everywhere. And and so I think what's so interesting about what you said about the artist way or or like the kind of um the overarching theme of what you said is like living an unlived having things in you that are unlived, whether it's creating something, trying something, a certain relationship, traveling. Like, I think that doing, being in the closet about something, about who you really are, like living that unlived life, whatever it is, be it a drum class or like loving who you love or like will kill you, Mm -hmm. will like truly kill you. There's a part of the book where she goes, you will go from saying, oh, I could kill you to going, I could kill me. You know, you start, it stops, you stop externalizing and start internalizing. When you don't do the thing you want to do? Yeah. Eventually over time, you start blaming others and then you, it turns into self-hatred and self-flagellation. Yeah. Is that what that's called? I feel like that means. I don't know what self I, uh. I, well, I feel like that's the same thing that kind of happens sometimes when your art also 
the balance of turning your art into business. Right. You know, that's also like a fine line because sometimes it's like, okay, now you're doing the thing you dreamed of doing, but if you don't have any more like core from your soul artistic input in it, it feels almost as worse as not doing it at all. You know? You mean when too many hands and too many judgments kind of get in and muddy it up? Yeah, I know. Like this is the first time it's taken me a very long time, but like my emerging from quarantine new thing is I'm really learning to say no and not be so fucking available and somewhat desperate for like any and every job where I'm just like, yeah, that doesn't really align with my values or I'm, I'm really good at this and I'm not good at that. Like it's taken me a very long time to not be such a whore in the arts I know, you know why that is? We're taught to take every, we're taught that we should be grateful for anything and that we're these like, you know, kitchen mice or field mice like <laughs> running around for the scraps. Yeah. But there's more than one way to do it. Yeah. That's really interesting. I love that. So when you had this breakthrough with the artist way, what, what happened next? I started doing stand-up. So one one weird thing was in in the U-turn chapter where it says straighten out a U-turn, I had called about an ad from an ad in the paper about doing a stand-up class. That's how long ago this was. Born in 1934. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I remember calling and the teacher made some joke where... He was like, well, it's not sitting down class. And I thought, eh. (laughs) But then when I thought about it, I was like, why not just see what the class is like? Why did I immediately have to cast judgment? So I went and I took this class at a Best Western Hotel in White Bear Lake, Minnesota. (laughs) It was in the bar. We all sat in the bar area. We got up one by one. And the first exercise was, and this is from... I always say Judy Brown. It's Judy Carter. You remember the Judy Carter books? Yeah. Comedy Bible. We all went to the front of the class and had to tell each other what we thought we looked like, you know, because you get that joke then like, I know what you're thinking or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I look like a cross between a this and a that. Yes. (laughs) Oh, my God. I. Okay. Sorry. That's bringing up like five different thoughts for me, but. So we did that and I just thought, wow, this is fascinating. It's like stand-up is this quest for identity or who you are, you know, coming from where you are and how to express that through your lens. And I just became obsessed with it, but I never thought I would. My goal was, you know, just open for people and make some cash and stay here and try to do performance art still. I never thought, oh, maybe I could be on a TV show or whatever. Like, you know, I never thought about this aspect of it really. I mean, even though, do you ever think that like, even the fact you live in LA is just wild? Oh, I think when I'm in a good headspace, I will sit back and be like, holy shit. Like my life has been very cool. And, Mm. and I don't think we're taught, to do that because being content is somehow 
giving up and not trying anymore. But it's like, right. if I died tomorrow, I would be really happy with what I've done and not just what I've done, like what I've achieved, but like all mm. the things I've tried, all the people I've met, all the people hopefully have affected, you know? And, right. um, yeah, like, no, I, I can't believe I get, I can't believe I get paid. Like when I'm in a bad place, it's the voices in my head that are like, why don't more people love me? You know, like that's like bad place, Julia, which luckily is not as frequent as it used to be. Good place, Julia, is like the fact that one person might be listening to this podcast. The fact that like anyone books me and anyone wants to hear what I have to say, not in like a self-deprecating, like I can't believe anyone wants to hear, but just like the fact that people connect at all with what I'm saying is so cool. And, and my goal to achieve more or have, you know, a bigger audience or more listeners or whatever it is, it's not, it used to be, I think of like a, I want to be a popular cheerleader. That used to be my motivation, but now it's truly like, uh, I think I can help people feel better. And like, I'll do positive things. I swear. And like, I'm one of the good guys. You do realize we can start a cheerleading squad. (laughs) Well, let's get, this is a verbal, this is a cheerleading squad for your ears. We'll drum in our skirts. We'll drum. We'll do all the things. So yeah, I mean, gosh, what a, I love the direction this conversation took. Cause I always ask us, I'm like, oh, you know, like, have in mind maybe a story mm. or a moment. And, you know, if you want to let me and like so often, and I should remember this about my guests, but so often they'll be like, yeah, I have like a bunch of things in my head, but let's just see where it goes. Like it always right. unfolds in such a delightful. Can I tell you something weird that came, came to mind? I, I yeah. talked about this once on, I know specifically I talked about this on Jeff, Jeff Wattenhofer's podcast. Do you know Jeff? I don't think so. His He has a really or I don't know if he does it anymore, but he has a podcast called Exit Strategy where you talk about what you would do if you weren't a comedian, kind of. Okay. But anyway, uh, speaking of the, I know what you're thinking. There was a guy in Minneapolis. He's passed away a few years ago. His name was Dave. I don't remember his last name, but he had a long white beard. And he entered this like funniest person contest. And his opening line when he would go on stage is he would go, Ho, 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 motherfuckers. And everyone would laugh. Old man, white beard, you know, and then he would go into his act. Then he made it to, so he won the first round of the contest. Second round, he came back in a Santa outfit. (laughs) So when he said, ho, ho, motherfuckers, the bridge didn't like it didn't work. There was nothing for the audience to connect. Mm. And I always think about that. Like it was like, he didn't let them make the connection. Mm-hmm. You know, I know what you're thinking. One one people. I know what you're thinking. <laughs> <laughs> That's sort of a metaphor for life in a way, right? Like, mm. you know, Oh Yes. Your- if we're going to get real poetic here in Kabbalah, cause I, I study Kabbalah level. I'm in level four. I love it. I love all the things. <laughs> One of the things that they teach in Kabbalah is restriction. Um, and it 
reminds me of that a little bit of like, no matter what happens, say something really good happens to you, you want to call a million people and tell them, or you have an idea, you want to talk about it. Or if something bad happens and you feel the need to just tear everything down, restrict. It's all about restriction. Don't do it. Don't ever share? Hold it. Hold it. You can share, but not in the way of like, this is the best thing that's ever. Mm. You're you're messing with the energy. It's called like stealing energy. Ooh. And you're also putting a value judgment on things and saying whether they're good or bad. And you don't really know I mean, what's I good or bad. I hate it when people, and I know the intention is kind, but when someone's like, I really hope you have the best year. Happy birthday. I hope this year's the best year. And I'm like, so I should kill myself after this year? Because if one year is the best, then what is there to like look forward to? I feel like I write that in birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no judgment, but your birthday cards are the fast food of birthday cards. No, I'm just kidding. They are. They are. (laughs) You know what's funny, Julia? I hate, as much as I love creative writing, I hate writing emails. I don't love texting. That's not creative. That's true. Even That's you're not, true. you literally just said that you would rather like read a poetry book that you can read over and over again mm. than like, um, uh, you know, the, the wood carving of right. hashtag blessed. So why would you enjoy a text message? I mean, I would much rather have a conversation with somebody like you are always, you're one of my only friends that like calls, like you love calling. Yeah. I love phone calls. Yeah. I love phone calls too. I just, I am learning to not pick up the phone if I can't like fully have a conversation. What if you're like, if the name starts with L, (laughs) I'm learning to restrict. Yeah. (laughs) Um, This was such a delight. I I loved it. I, um, I have a very important question. I end every episode asking this. Uh, are you ready? Is it glazed or jelly donuts? It's should I That's get That's literally an, a question people ask you on like dating apps for their opener. <laughs> no, mine is should I get bangs? Okay. Julia, I'm going no. Okay. Yep. That's what most people say. I feel like you have a great forehead. It's so funny that that's often the reason people give. And it's, I, I never came up with the question to, you know, solicit forehead compliments, but thank you. Do you know what though? Yeah. I think if you did the kind of long seventies bang that kind of twirls out like that, listeners, don't you wish you could see what I'm doing with my tendrils? (laughs) If you could just. More like this would be so, cute. Unfortunately, I got that done. And because I have, it takes a, it's really hard for me to get a middle part because I have all these baby hairs after literally having a baby because my hair, you grow hair and then your hair falls out and then you de- develop all these like little wispies. I don't have the patience to do them. You, on the other hand, listeners, you'll see a pic of Lizzie when I post the pod, but also Google You've always had the best bangs. Like I have bang. I always, whenever I hang out with you, even now, I was listening to your stories, and I was like, "Oh, fucking hair!" Ah. I love. I'm so jealous of your bangs. Oh my god, that's so nice. Have you always had bangs? 
in high school I did and it was like I look very like milky and round without them. That's so funny. I think you look good with or without. I like I like with, but uh that's so funny. Have you ever thought of going like shorter, like Severus Snape length? Uh, I had short hair about five months ago, and I I always with bangs and shorter hair. Mm-hmm. I always love it for about a week, and right. then um, start looking at old photos of myself with long hair and no bangs. And I'm like, remember those days? So no, I'm gonna grow my hair. I'm gonna grow it long again. Okay. Yeah. I love it, Julia. Lizzie, is there this anything so lovely? Do you want to share uh, anything that you? Want I have people- so little to promote. I mean, I have an album called Organism. Yes, I'm active on Instagram stories. <laughs> I have shows in July. I mean, I really my life is pretty much an open book right now. Yeah, I love well, it. No, it's not an open book. It's an open calendar. I know. <laughs> My life is an open planner. So you you tell me what I should be doing. Listener, give me doing, something to plug. I think you should write a book of poems. I think you should keep walking around this world with that hair. Okay. I'm into it. Uh, and those are my only two suggestions right now. I love it. And I love <laughs> you. I'm so glad I, I got to see you. you. Thanks for doing the show. Thanks for having me. Bye. Bye. I hope that this episode inspired you to create something. Maybe you, you've been, you know, creatively blocked. Maybe you'll read the artist's way and that will help open you up. Maybe you're somebody who, I don't know, feels self-conscious of, kind of calling yourself an artist. I hope this episode maybe reminded you that we're all artists in our own way, whether it's, you know, in creating a fabulous meal or we're creating a garden or, you know, whatever it is, creating um, a nice home. That's art. Um, so I hope that this episode maybe inspired you to, to, to do some kind of art that feels good for your soul. I felt very inspired to write a poem. Uh, so here goes. Ahem. Express yourself. Paint the world with your feelings. Create what is in your heart and let your art create healing. There is so much beauty everywhere. It is true. Please keep listening to my podcast and please subscribe, rate, and review. Wow. What a genius I am. If you want to hire me to write greeting cards or bad puns, um, I would love it. Um, and yeah, uh, as always, thank you for listening. Have a great week and I will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.